0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ and His power and love even now as you listen. Well, amen. Last week, we began a new series um, for a new year. Um, and it's called A New Way of, of Life. We're going to be looking between uh, now and through the end of, um, of March at the Sermon on the Mount, which is three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 5 through 7 is where we find the Sermon on the Mount. And it's there that Jesus is really presenting a vision for a whole new way of being, <laughs> And he is inviting us into that new life. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. We, we started last week with the first part of the Beatitudes. The Sermon on the Mount begins with a series of eight that all begin with the word blessed. And so we looked at the first half of the Beatitudes last week, and and we're going to look at the second half this week. And so Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading this morning with verse 7 and move through verse 12. Matthew 5, 7 through 12, and let me ask you to stand as we look at God's word together. Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Just keep your Bibles open as we walk through the Word together. You can be seated. Father, we do thank you for this time now when um, we can come to your Word, and your 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 Word is is it's unlike any any other. The the Bible is not like any other book. Um, because your your Holy Spirit, um, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, works through your word in such a, a penetrating way, and we, we pray that it would penetrate and take root in our hearts and then out through our living as we look at the new way of life that is provided in Christ, and it's in his name that we pray, amen. Well a few years ago I got on social media and I was a I was a late I was late coming to the party of social media, I wasn't on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that for the the longest time, and I basically got on there for for the the church. But after I got on social media, I started noticing that a a lot of people would would, would hashtag their statements uh, with the word blessed, hashtag blessed and um and, and and it always seemed like when they did that they were doing it when they were talking about something really good like some positive circumstance happening in their lives. And I'm not against using hashtag blessed, probably used it at some point myself, but it, it, it raises some, some questions that I think that we need to ask. Because whenever we see that on social media, hashtag blessed, it always follows like a good circumstance happening. But here's the, here's the question. Are we as believers not hashtag blessed when trials come in our lives? Are, are we not hashtag blessed when, when all of our circumstances maybe are, are, are not going in a, in a super positive way? Uh, brothers and sisters, I would submit to you that if you belong to Christ, you're hashtag blessed Always. <laughs> In every circumstance, for this reason, because we have a, a sovereign God who loves us and who has ordained all of our circumstances for His glory and for our good, and so we're we're blessed all the time in in Christ, and and, and that's really important. For what we're looking at today in the scripture because we're going to see some groups of people whose circumstances of life are, are, are maybe not going in just like a super, super uh, circumstances that you would no- normally think of as good, but yet Jesus says that even so, they can have a happiness and a, and a flourishing that goes anything beyond what the world could, could ever have it's really encouraging to know that all the circumstances in our life don't have to be going great for us to flourish, right? Because our circumstances are not always gonna be great. But Jesus tells us that, that in him, there's a happiness and a joy that, that transcends circums- uh, circumstances that's found in, in, in Christ, so let's take a look at these 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 second four beatitudes this this morning. If you were here last week you remember, we talked about the fact that this word that's translated in, in almost all English translations as, as blessed or blessed at the beginning of each beatitude, it's the Greek word makarios, and it's very difficult to find kind of a, a spot-on English translation for that word, but the real meaning of, of makarios is, is, is happiness or flourishing, and so we're going to look at each beatitude in that way. The first one is uh, that we'll look at today is happy or flourishing are those who show compassion. Happy, flourishing are those who show compassion. So Jesus says in verse seven, "Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy." A New Testament scholar. Craig Blomberg um, says this about the, the, the word mercy or, or, or merciful that is used there. Blomberg says merciful embraces the characteristics of being generous, forgiving others, having compassion for the suffering, and providing healing of every kind. And listen, mercy flows directly out of the gospel. It flows out of the way that we have been treated by God. The the basis that we have for showing mercy and compassion for other people is the fact that we have been shown mercy and compassion by God in the gospel. And so Paul says in, in Ephesians 4.32, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Now a couple of things here that we need to take note of when we talk about mercy. First of all, there's a big difference between justice and Mercy. Justice is about fairness. It's about being treated the way that we deserve. Well, guess what? If God treated you and me with justice, we'd all be in hell. The gospel is about mercy. We have been treated with mercy because Jesus took the just wrath of God against our sins on the cross so that we can be treated with mercy. And therefore, we're to treat others with with mercy. So, big difference between justice and mercy. Here's here's another thing we kind of need to take note of when we talk about mercy Mercy is a part of the, the essential character of God. In the Old Testament, when, when God reveals who he is and his essential character, mercy is a big part of that in, in, in Exodus 2 thirty four in verse six, as um, God reveals himself to Moses as the, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness let 's look at the second part of this beatitude, verse seven blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. They'll be shown mercy because in in being merciful, they show that they belong to the one who extends mercy, right? This is not like a quid pro quo where, you know, Jesus is saying, well, if you do this, then God will do this, That's not the way the Beatitudes work, right? The Beatitudes are what scholars call macarisms. That is, they they describe a certain way of life that results in flourishing. And when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, Jesus is describing, this is who my people are. The people who follow me, the people who truly know God, are going to be people of mercy, and therefore they show themselves to, to belong, truly belong to, 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 to me, and 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 they're going to receive mercy in in the end because they are are mine. You know, if somebody is without mercy, you know, somebody who's like hard hard hearted. That's not a characteristic of someone who's truly born again, of someone who truly knows Christ. It's just not. D.A. Carson um, says this. How could the unmerciful man receive mercy? The one who is not merciful is inevitably so unaware of his own state that he thinks he needs no Mercy. This is exactly what we saw last week when we looked at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? The Pharisee doesn't think he needs mercy. You know, this is the guy who, who says to God, God, I just thank you that I'm not like all these other people. You know, all these sinners that are out there in the world, thank you that I'm not like them. What does he need mercy for? <laughs> he thinks he's already earned his way with God, Right? But the tax collector, you know, this notorious sinner, Jesus says he stood at a distance and beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said he went home right, right with God, you know, not the Pharisee, right? If, you're, if you truly belong to God, then you understand that you need mercy, Right? You need God's grace. You need God's mercy. And when that really gets into you, then you become more and more a person who is able to give mercy and compassion to other people. And I'm not saying that Christians would never struggle with forgiving someone or that Christians would, would you know. and there are certain Christians who have a, a, like a gift of mercy, right? They just, like that, that's a, it's a special anointing from the Holy Spirit that they have. But all of us are called to be people of mercy and, and grace, compassion, forgiveness, right? It's not, and it's, again, it's not that a true Christian could never struggle with forgiveness, but you know what? The very fact that, you, that it's a struggle indicates that the Holy Spirit is convicting you and working in your life, right? If the Holy Spirit wasn't working, there wouldn't be any conviction about it, right? So, the Spirit makes us more and more people of mercy because we've been given mercy. So, what are the implications of that? You know, it, 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 when it comes to how we treat other people as believers, what it means is that the question for us is never, like, what does this person deserve? The question for us should always be, how has Christ treated me? He didn't treat us the way we deserve. <laughs> he treats us the way we deserve. We're all in hell. Um, he treated us with mercy. Mercy. Right? And so, when it comes, if you're struggling to forgive somebody, if you're struggling to love someone who's more difficult for you to love, the question is not, you know, what does this person deserve? The question is always, right? How has Christ treated me? That's the issue. Okay, so happy, flourishing are those who show compassion. Second, happy or flourishing are those with undivided hearts, undivided hearts so let's look at verse 8 jesus says blessed are the pure in heart for they will see god now the word pure here really has the the root meaning of of single singleness it, the idea is 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 undivided singleness single-minded devotion, right? Or devotion that's not divided up, chopped up. We see this a lot in the Psalms. In Psalm eighty-six, eleven: teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. In Psalm 24, three and four, which a lot of scholars believe that Jesus was sort of was sort of meditating on as he said, blessed are the, the pure in heart. Psalm 24 says this, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in this holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Now Jesus has tons to say about the heart, right? He's always talking about the heart, Matthew 15, 19. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. One of the things that we're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount over the next few months is that God is concerned about a lot more than external outward conformity to rules. God is concerned about our hearts. And this has all kinds of implications in a number of areas in life. It has huge implications for parenting. That God is concerned with the heart. I am so thankful that when our kids were just babies that, that we, we read Ted Tripp's book Shepherding a Child's Heart because for Melissa and I, it really shifted our paradigm uh, from sort of, you know, kind of behavior modification to uh, raising children that would truly love Jesus from their hearts. You know, as, as, as Christian parents... We should be into a a lot more than, than behavior modification. Outward conformity to the rules. I mean, if your aim as parents is just to kind of produce good boys and girls who check off all the boxes and who outwardly conform to rules, well, that's fine if your goal as parents is to produce a bunch of little Pharisees but we want a lot more than that right as christian parents we want we want to see we want to raise kids who love jesus they love him from their hearts well if that's the kind of kids you want then that means you've got to get in there and deal with the heart right and help and help them understand that all of us have sin in our hearts and that there's a remedy for that that there's a savior that we can rely on and that, that, re, that renews our hearts, right? By the way, parents, if, you're, if your kids love God, you don't have to worry too much about behavior. <laughs> it takes care of itself, right? When we love him from the heart. This has implications for the way that we think about spiritual growth, Sometimes when we when we think about well, how how are you doing spiritually we ask questions like well you know are you having your quiet time which Listen, not against your quiet time, okay? Don't hear me wrong, right? But, but w- the questions that we tend to ask sometimes about spiritual growth is, okay, are you, ha- are you, are you doing your devotions um, and are you avoiding certain, certain scandalous sins, right? And as long as you're kind of doing that and you're avoiding that, we associate that with spiritual growth, But listen, we need to to ask questions that go a lot deeper than that. We need to be going deeper than, hey, are you having your quiet time and are you avoiding certain sins? We need to be asking questions that will touch on the heart. That that class that we're gonna be doing on Wednesday nights, 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health, we're gonna be asking heart questions Right, we're gonna ask questions like do you thirst for God? Are you more loving? Are you growing in love? Do you grieve over sin? Do you have a growing concern for the needs of other people? Are you a quicker forgiver? Those are those are heart questions, right? That indicate like growth from the, the heart. That's where we need to go. That's where Jesus goes. Look at the latter part of verse eight. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. It makes sense, doesn't it? That the less clouded our hearts are with the smog and pollution of sin, the clearer our vision of God is going to be. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, there's a, there was an article that came out in Leadership Journal, probably in the early 80s, and it was written by an anonymous Christian leader, but it was entitled, The War Within, and this was a christian leader who had gone through like a a decade of a, an incredible struggle with lust in his life and he he just kind of spelled out in, in in detail what this struggle was like and you know he would he, he would try to try to get out of it and just kept going back and over and over and over again a repeating cycle and then one day he was reading something that was written about purity of heart from a French writer named Francois Mariak, who who's a Christian. And Mauriac pointed to Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And Mariac, instead of sort of you know, using kind of all of the kind of negative, scary arguments about what lust will do, and, and it will do all those things. <laughs> it is scary, right? It's all true. But, it, but, but instead of kind of looking at that side of it, Mariach looked at Matthew 5, 8, and he pointed to all of the good things, all the beautiful things that we miss, when our hearts are clouded by lust or by any habitual sin, any habitual sin, right? Sin in the heart just it 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 clouds our vision of God. It 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 it, 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 it prevents us from having the intimacy with God that we could have. And so, when, when we don't have purity of heart, think of the, the, it's the, the things that we're missing out on. We're missing out on intimacy with God and all of the good and beautiful things that flow from that. So we need to deal with our hearts, right? We need to make sure our, their hearts are, are pure before the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Third, happy, flourishing are those who bring people together. Jesus says in in verse 9, Blessed are the, the peacemakers. You know, one of the names of Christ is what? Prince of Peace. Jesus is a reconciler. He reconciles us to God through his death on the cross, through his shed blood. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless and blameless before him. Jesus reconciles us to other people in Ephesians, when it, it talks about the way that, that the cross has reconciled Jew and Gentile, he, he brings people together, people from different backgrounds and, and ethnicities and, and races and religions, and he, the cross brings us all together as people who know Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. And so therefore, when we act as peacemakers, whether it's helping people to be reconciled to God through the gospel, or whether it's helping people to be reconciled to one another, we are acting in a Christ-like way. Because that's that's who he is. We're showing that, that we are people of the spirit because Galatians 5.22 says that one of the fruits of the spirit is what? Peace, love, joy, peace. Now look at the latter part of verse nine. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. In other words, we, we show that we belong to him that we are his children when we seek to to, to be peacemakers because that's, that's who God is, right? And so that's who his children will be. That should just be the norm, right? It should be, it should be normal for, for us to, to be peacemakers. Again, D.A. Carson is so on point with this. He says, when Christians at some convention or church business meeting enter into heated debate, The brother who keeps calm, respectfully listens to each viewpoint with fairness and courtesy, and spreads oil on the troubled waters is silently regarded by his peers as spiritual. But such conduct ought to be considered normal among disciples of Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ himself has made it normative. It is part and parcel of being a son of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Fourth, happy, flourishing are those who are persecuted because of their faith in Christ. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You know, it's tough for us as Christians in the West to really relate to verses like this sometimes. Because while, if we stand for Christ, we are likely to get some sort of social you know, ostracizing at some point. I mean, that's, that's gonna happen. But compared to what our brothers and sisters in Christ are going through in so many parts of the world, like Iran or China, you know, our, the level of our persecution is 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 slight. That's why we always need to remember the persecuted church in our prayers, because this is our family. You know, these are your brothers and sisters around the world that are being persecuted. Always remember them in your prayers, and always remember that if you if you do experience any persecution because you belong to Christ. That's not something that should surprise you. That should not surprise us. What does what Peter say? 1 Peter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because a spirit of glory and of God rests on you, let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief and an evil doer or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name it 's an honor to be associated with with, with Christ. Look at the latter part of of verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Listen, the kingdom is associated with who? The king. That means we're associated with the king. We're people of the king. So what should we expect if we're associated with Jesus? Jesus says in John 15, 18 and following, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Which makes this beatitude all the more understandable, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, they show that they belong to the king because they are willing. They are willing to be persecuted for his name. They show that they belong to him. Now, this is the only one of the eight beatitudes that Jesus actually expands on. But he does that in verses 11 and 12. He says, if you are, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Those who have been around truly Persecuted believers can testify that these are usually not morose people; they are usually some of the some of the happiest people, despite everything that 's happening around them and 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 to them. why well there are a couple of reasons I think part of it. Is that when when we suffer because we belong to Christ, the, the the word promises that there will be a special fellowship that we experience with, with Christ, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And so there's a special level of, of, of fellowship with, with Christ when we suffer for him. That's part of it. But I think I think part of it too is that is that typically these persecuted believers are are living in situations where their gaze is more fixed upon god they're not as distracted as we are here in the west they're not picking up their cell phone every 5 seconds you know to find out you know check an email or find out what's the latest Happening thing on social media or the, or the news, you know, they're not like spending kind of hours and hours you know streaming uh, this or this or that. Their lives are more simple. What if you took some steps this year to simplify your life so that you could have more of a, of a gaze upon the Lord? Because that's where true joy is found, right? What does David say in Psalm 1611? He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What if you took some steps in 2020 to simplify your life so that you, your gaze could be fixed more on on God, so that you could be in His presence more, where there is fullness of joy. What if, what if what if you what if you said you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up my phone less and pick up my Bible a little more. What if you said I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going to re- reduce some of the time that I spend some of my screen time right whether it's the TV or your or your phone or your tablet or whatever. I'm going to reduce some of my screen time so that I can increase some of the time that I spend seeking to invest in the lives of other people. Whether that's People who in your life that don't know Christ, you know the, the the people in your life that 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 need to know Jesus. That you're. What if, what if you said, Well, I'm I'm I want to I'm going to spend more time investing in helping people know Jesus or helping people know Him better, right? Discipleship. It's been investing in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ so that, it, so that you're helping one another grow in, in Christ. What if you said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend a little less money on myself so that I can give a little more, live a little more simply that others might simply live What if you said, I'm, I'm going to simplify life a, a bit so that there are less distractions and my gaze can be more fixed upon God this year? There's a Danish philosopher uh, named Seren Kierkegaard, and he used to tell a story about a, a wealthy guy, and this is in the 1800s when they drove carriages. And so. Wealthy people would always have their carriage lit up at night, the inside of their carriage. So this guy would be driving through the countryside, and the inside of his nice, opulent carriage would be lit up, right? So he could, you know, it's lit up inside, and he can see well the lantern is lit inside the carriage. But the result of that was that as he drove through the beauty of the starlit, moonlit nights, he was missing. The light, the little light inside of his carriage was causing him to miss just the glorious beauty of the starlit night all around him but the but the poor guy who's out there on foot or on horseback or or whatever was could see he was he was he had he had no lesser lights to distract he could see just the glory of the of the starlit night around him we need to, each of us ask, okay, what are the lesser lights in our lives that may be obscuring the greater light of Christ? What are the lesser lights in your life that you need to extinguish so that the greater light of Christ can shine this year? Let's reflect on that as we go before the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we we thank you uh, for the the, the path to to happiness and flourishing that you have given us. We thank you that you invite us into this life through Christ. It's nothing that, that we deserve. It's nothing that we can earn. It's something that is offered to us as, as a gift. It's an open door that we can walk through. We, we pray that you would give us the grace to, to walk through it this year and to experience the new way of life that is found in Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8, 30, and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.